the historic bells of Albany City Hall. Welcome to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome to another episode of Albany Street here with the Albany Broadcasting family, as well as Adirondack Broadcasting. I'm Brian Cady, and we continue on with meeting and greeting and discussing several topics with different community leaders around the Capital District. And I am honored and privileged to uh, be meeting for the first time for this particular show. Uh, a gentleman who I have a high amount of respect and regard for as Albany County District Attorney for nearly two full decades and has now joined me here in studio live, Mr. David Soares, as well as his Director of Communications, Mr. Daryl Camp. Gentlemen, hello. How are you? Lovely. Brian, this is a thank you for having us on Albany Street. Nice to meet you, sir. Very nice to meet you. And we'll just get right into it as far as uh, your time in the DA's office. Spent almost two decades, like I mentioned. What about upstate New York and particularly the Capital Region has kept you around for so long and being able to serve the, the community within Albany County? Well, well, Albany County is one of the most uniquely situated uh, places in all of the United States, and I and I, I say that. And I know oftentimes when I when I'm having conversations and I say that, I hear a little snickers. But when when you think about the fact that you are in a community where you know three hours by car, you can be in the center of the universe, which I think most of us would agree is uh, is New York City and Manhattan, and then in another three hours, you can uh, take off in the easterly direction and be in in, in, in God's favorite city, watching God's favorite baseball team in Boston. Hmm? Um, and what? Then, <laughs> and, then, and then you could be uh, three hours from, from, from Montreal. And I think that that makes this location so unique. Uh, it also makes this location such a lure for those who have terrible intentions. Overall, in your time as district attorney, what changes... Do you feel like you've seen for the good and for the bad within the community? I think that um, wonderful things tend to happen oftentimes in the heel of tragedy. And when I reflect back on my time here, um, watching the community, specifically the city of Albany, specifically the the African-American community in the city of Albany galvanize around the death of a child uh, in Katina Thomas back, I believe, in in 2008 uh, had to be one of the most rewarding things I've ever I've ever seen. I've never experienced driving into a community, walking around in a community and seeing, you know, gang members walking over to me asking me about the case and, and offering information because I think the death of that child really affected everyone. And so I reflect upon those experience um, and watching the community galvanize itself around tragedy. But then it saddens me how if you fast forward to 2022 when we see children being shot as they're sleeping in their beds uh, because of errant bullets that are that are flying around in the city of Albany and not having the same reaction as, as I had seen back when we're talking about Katina Thomas and the level of apathy that I see now is is so troubling. And, and so... My hope is that we we can change that and we can we can work to change that. And, and that is also coming on the heels of a movement that was specifically about the affected population here. There are small pockets in the city of Albany that are affected far more than others. And we are declaring in some instances that black lives matter, but black lives need to universally matter in all cases and not just in cases where there are a specific set of repeated facts and circumstances. 
And that's actually a a terrific transition, Daryl, because I do want to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement in general, because first off, I think it's ridiculous that there had to be a movement to begin with, but that's another discussion. But it has been nine years since the Trayvon Martin case and decision was handed down. Do we feel like the community, not just our local community, but really the nation in general, have things moved better or worse as far as us healing and embracing what Black Lives Matter was about to begin with, have we moved to a better place or a worse place? I don't think we've moved to a better place, not when you consider the incredible increase in violence that we're witnessing all throughout the country. And I want to distinguish the violence that's existing throughout the country between that violence and the violence that we experience it here locally. I do not think that you're the trajectory of black and brown lives in our country is improved when you consider the fact that um, that, that uh, African-Americans, uh, Hispanics, people of color continue to be 95 percent of the victims of violent crime in our nation. And so you cannot, with any degree of sincerity, um, with any reputation, declare that, that lives have become better for, for black and brown people in the United States of America. Now, that's a statement that needed to be made, needed to be said, but we have to get at the, the the reasons why, right? And this is where I think that Americans, we miss the opportunities to do so over and over and over again. Now, let me just say this. you know, If you were to go to your doctor tomorrow uh, with, with an ailment, you would never think of, of not being as honest about uh, the condition that you're experiencing because if you're not being forthright and honest with um, with the physician, he's never going to be able to provide the appropriate remedy. And I think that when we talk about the, the issues that impact on black lives, and especially when we're talking about this in the context of your legislature and your government, we always seem to allow for others to define the issues that are the most pertinent for, for people of color in black communities. And therefore, whenever someone else is defining the issues, what comes out in terms of policy, in terms of resources from your state and local government, always seem to, to miss the mark. Yeah, it seems to routinely be that we are misdirecting when it comes to what the origin point of violence is. For example, there is an effort immediately, as soon as we have the tragic racist mass shooting in Buffalo, there is an effort immediately to clamp down on legal gun activity for people with concealed carry permits. By and large, just about all of the gun activity in the city of Albany that is affecting the black community is taking place with illegal guns. So if you want to, with legislation, target the issue, you're basically creating window dressing that will not actually address the thing that we're dealing with daily in the city of Albany. Would it address something like the mass shooting in Buffalo? Yeah, it would. Would it address something like what we've been talking about forever? No, it would not. So all gun violence isn't the same. And it seems that lawmakers seem to conflate the two completely separate issues. Another thing that I just I have to ask, because it's something that's frustrated me time and time again, not just from a local standpoint, but from a national standpoint. The simple question of why does it take tragedy and injustice for people to open their eyes when it comes to issues, particularly, you know, like Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, for example, like why does it take something so extreme for that to happen? Well, I think and I want to be very clear, you know, with respect to the organization of Black Lives Matters and the issues that 
that organizations like that are championing because I, I do think that there are very legitimate issues with respect to um, the relationship between law enforcement and historically and, and people of color. I think the United States of America, I think we're all, even though you mentioned Trayvon Martin, we are all now living in this world where more often than not, if there is an incident that occurs, there's going to be either a video recording of it from a phone from a business, from a police car, from a body cam. And what's happened over the last, uh, I would say, decade is the fact that those videos that we're seeing in so many, from so many different platforms and so many different technologies are actually validating the claims that, that, that people of color have been making for a long time, especially as it relates to law enforcement. So the fact that you have an organization that is attempting to engage attempting to bring about change in the dynamics of that relationship, I think is a wonderful thing. However, I don't think that we could be so myopic and, and view or, or, or look at the world or discuss you know, that very specific topic without engaging in other things that are infecting, that are impacting on black lives. I, I right? think what you're mentioning is how we lead to broad reforms like raise the age, bail reform, discovery reform, attempts at reforming parole, when you see what a system that has made errors at times, but also has merits, and you want to upend that system without something functional to replace it, you end up with sweeping reforms that have unintended consequences, or the worst case scenario is consequences you may have anticipated, but have seen as the cost of doing business to get the equity that you're seeking, as opposed to actual equality and a good quality of life. And that's a perfect transition because we're going to take a quick time out. When we do get back, we will dive into the issue of bail reform and raise the age and also address the uh, Community Justice Outreach Center that is part of the District Attorney's Office. I'm Brian Cady here with Albany County District Attorney David Soares and his Director of Communications, Daryl Camp. We'll be back in just a moment. The historic bells of Albany City Hall return us to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome back to Albany Street. I'm Brian Cady here with Albany County District Attorney David Soares, as well as his Director of Communications, Daryl Camp. And uh, we left off by, we were transitioning into the discussion about bail reform and raise the age and the impact it's had on the communities at large. And I guess the, the first thing to address is where have these changes gone wrong in the effect it's had? Let's understand what the intentions were to begin with in, in passing the legislation. The intention was to bring equity into the system, and I believe it was from that and that lens alone that um, the issues were debated and viewed. Certainly, there was there was very little engagement with public safety professionals, myself included, during the discussions back in 2018 and 2019, and, and this reform was passed uh, basically to bring about equity into the system. What it failed to do was consider community safety, and it failed to consider dangerousness. Now, before I get into this, the specifics, let me just, I want to reflect back in 2004 and, and you know, the public safety policies that were in place prior to that. Prior to uh, 2004, more specifically in the early 70s, you know, as America was being inundated with, with drugs, 
and young people specifically engaging in that particular lifestyle, especially after the Vietnam War. You know, one ideological group thought that the, the best way to address the consumption of, of dangerous drugs was to punish and, and punish very routinely those who were trafficking in those drugs. And, we, you know, out of that, those policies was born the Rockefeller drug laws. Now, the framework and the architecture of the Rockefeller drug laws is that the first thing it did was it deprived judges of judicial discretion by making by creating mandatory minimum sentences. And so the result of that was basically the disproportionate impact on black and brown lives and, and black and brown communities. And so in that instance, we, see, we saw one ideological group overpunishing and, and holding so many people, too many people to account for this issue. You fast forward and in 2019, a different ideological group comes along and that ideological group wants to end mass incarceration. Now, they set up, they set about passing a number of different policies designed to address mass incarceration. Now, let, let me assure you that the best way to avoid and reduce mass incarceration or any incarceration is by putting resources into prevention so that you can you can have some degree of assurance that the trajectory of the lives that you're trying to change are, are going to go in a different direction. And so what this other ideological group came along and did it, it decided to address mass incarceration by really tinkering with um, some of the policies in public safety to include uh, the issue of bail. And they sought to address the issue of bail from the perspective of equity and equity alone, never once considering public safety, considering dangerousness. And the first thing that they did to assure that is to deprive judges of judicial discretion. Where does the disconnect begin? Does it begin with local officials? Does it begin at state legislature? Where, where does it all begin as far as the disconnect that happened between the good intentions and the poor execution? Where... where where did that bridge start disconnecting at that point? Well, let me put it to you this way. When we talk about, I mean, it's almost politically unassailable, the position and the posture of attempting to bring equity to a system that is perceived to be, to have inequities. And so that, it's, it's unassailable, that position. That would be the disconnect, though. It's the perception issue. So if their politics is always downstream of culture, you change culture before you change how people vote and how people or your legislator will vote. So what happens is the perception is that law enforcement is universally ill-intentioned and bad. So that will lead to a result in voting booths and in legislative chambers that would also reflect that whether they mean to or not. There has to be nuance in the discussion about whether or not law enforcement has a function, what is the function of law enforcement, and also what is the function of the community. The police are not targeting all communities in the same way or responding to all communities in the same way because there are different dynamics in different communities. So you need a precision instrument because the dynamics in urban Albany are different than the dynamics in Bethlehem or Glenmont. So it, it's more so about getting away from rhetoric and getting back to practical thought and execution. You're absolutely correct, Daryl. And the reality is, is that policies were, were, were implemented without any input from members of those communities that are reaching out to law enforcement uh, with such frequency. You know, in Albany County, the the number one consumer of public safety services, of police services, and I'll say that again, in Albany County, the number one consumer of police services happen to be the people who live in the most uh, dangerous parts of our community. The same community 
that activists and some politicians were, you know, were, were promoting this defund the police concept, which was so disconnected from the realities on the streets. And, and most of the policies that we're talking about now, most of the policies that are impacting on public safety in that very community were born out of voices that knew nothing about the experiences of people who live in, in, in that community. Now, I, I do want to transition quickly to the, the Outreach Center, mm-hmm. which does amazing work in the community with uh, anti-bullying campaigns, a youth advisory board, martial arts uh, being taught to the youth, and so on and so forth. Also helps ex-convicts find work once they get out and become productive members of their communities. What, what's the difference between like it, how it was when you first came into the DA's office and the work that's being done now? How how amazing this group has been to help out. Well, first of all, one of my heroes is Frederick Douglass. And, and, and um, when I was a kid and I'd go see my cousins in, uh, in Cape Cod, we, was, we would pass by this uh, sheriff's office. And I remember it's a stop. So as a kid, you're looking out the back uh, window. There was a saying, and it said, it is easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. And, I, and that's always stuck with me because I knew that we were close to my uncle's house if, in fact, we were at that area and I was reading that sign. And we can talk about studies. We can talk about policies and, and public safety policies all throughout the country. But you know what? It comes back to if we are taking care of young kids, if we are setting young children off in a positive direction, it doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what their parents do. They're going to be great people, right? And so what is so frustrating to me, and this is very personal, what is so frustrating to me and what I've seen over the course of the last four years in this state, they have, when I say they, I mean the elected officials in passing bail reform and passing discovery reform and passing raise the age, they have expanded the footprint of what they've, they would also refer to as the prison industrial complex. So they've expanded the sizes of district attorney's offices. They've expanded the budgets of courts. And if you took a fraction of what this state has spent on failing public safety policies and redirected those dollars towards the city, First Street, Lexington, you know, Second Ave, Third, Judson, if you put those dollars back into those communities, you wouldn't have the crimes that we have right now. And that goes back to the cultural issue mentioned before. Not every person who ends up committing a violent pro- crime is predestined to do that. I'd argue none of them are. Decisions were made and things went wrong at some point in life, often during childhood, that have led that person down a path to where they either have a broken moral compass or they are living in desperation, whether it be financial insecurity. There are are myriad of reasons why that could happen. But if it is culturally acceptable, which it seems to be suggested based on some of the outcomes from the reforms, but if we signal that it's culturally acceptable to commit violence because of poverty, what is that saying to the next generation who's watching those who may be in their late teens now or early 20s? So when you intervene early, you often say, look at your 10-year-olds, see if they're being invested in, and that's your telegraph for what's going to happen five or six years from now because they may end up being the person with the gun. So you need to intervene early and have a village around the child to raise them correctly so when he's old, he doesn't depart from it. We are up against it, but I I would be remiss if I don't ask this question that I mentioned before we even got on the air today, and that's the following. Up until five and a half years ago, 
I was a born and raised Albany citizen. Uh, eventually moved out to Amsterdam with uh, living with my my wife now, and the changes could be seen slowly happening within the city of Albany. I grew up at a point where you know you were still walking to and from school ten minutes away uh, for grade school and middle school, where I was regularly going to walk down the street and go play basketball at Hoffman Park and not to worry about anything. You know, l- living within that Second Ave neighborhood, where I know, if I believe just recently there was a, a murder on Second Ave not too long ago. Where do we go from here, specifically to the city of Albany? I feel like it's been a gradual downhill change going on within the city, and it's only gotten worse, I feel like, since I left the city five and a half years ago as a resident. Where does the change have to begin? Let me just put it to you this way, and I'll say it very clearly. Bail reform, discovery reform, raise the age, has failed black people and brown people living in pockets of the city of Albany, but living in pockets that are very similar to the city of Albany all throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And, and here's what I'm going to say to you, Brian, because I don't want to get involved in, in the political back and forth because we have what I refer to as public safety truthers who want to see numbers. Well, here's some numbers for you, okay? There's been a 34% increase over the course of the last five years of reported shooting incidents, okay? A 34% increase. There is a 33% increase in comparison to the last five years of shooting victims. Up until the end of the month of September of this year, we had 80 people venture over to our trauma centers with bullet holes in their bodies. 80, okay? Shots fired has increased 40% in comparison to over the last uh, five years. 167. We used to average 119. And firearms recovered? 34 increase percent increase in the number of firearms recovered. And the problem that we have right now is that when law enforcement, who are in fact doing their job making these arrests, these individuals are coming into the system and they're walking right back out the door. And the frustration that people like myself and other members of law enforcement feel is when we hear those who championed these changes say, well, there's no proof. Guess what? There's a small number of people who commit crimes. Small number. If there's 100 people in the room, five of them are committing crimes. We don't have 25 of them now committing crimes. We have the same five that continue to be let out and come back to reoffend. And there's no area right now that is more vulnerable than 16 and 17-year-olds that are being apprehended with loaded firearms, whether those, those, are, those apprehensions are taking place at the mall or whether or not those apprehensions are taking place on the street. And those individuals are not being attended to or prosecuted or being held accountable by people like me. They are being released back home, and they're reoffending to the tune of about 40%. Individuals who are apprehended committing violent crimes once because they're 16 and 17-year-old are back out on the street, and, and some of them are also victims of crime because the people they, they were shooting at on Monday and they were arrested on, on Monday and released on Tuesday, they're now the victims of a shooting on Friday. That's what's happening to the city of Albany. That's what's happening to cities all across New York State. And uh, I'm so happy that you, you, you've allowed us to have this time on Albany Street to engage because this is the conversation we need to have. If I said to you that uh, we had over 100 you know, incidents of shootings right, in any community, in Albany County, if I said we had over 100 incidents of shootings in Gilderland, the alarm would have been pulled, the National Guard would have been brought in to assist. But for whatever reason, we 
do not seem to appreciate the young black and brown lives who are trapped in this cycle of, of endless violence. And you use the right word there. It's a vicious cycle. And until the right, uh, the right measurements are put in place and are used effectively, it's unfortunately, it's a vicious cycle that's going to continue. And hopefully, sooner than later, the right parameters are put into place for that, that to change. David Soares, Albany County District Attorney, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Daryl uh, Camp, the Director of Communications for the DA's office, thank you both for being here. And uh, certainly hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Uh, that's been another episode of Albany Streets. If you have any questions, comments, even guest suggestions, I'm up for it. This is just a new new thing for me. So please, by all means, uh, let me know what you think and uh, how you feel about it and what guests you want. Be Katie. That's B-C-A-D-Y at AlbanyBroadcasting.com. Until then, we'll catch you next week here on Albany Street. The historic bells of Albany City Hall close out another edition of Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. This program pre-recorded. <laughs>